Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. That sound behind me is a real volcano. This is what an active, live volcano sounds like. It's not too scary at first, but as we get closer, you can hear more of the deep rumbling under the ground. The sheer volume of liquid rock that's moving to the surface bubbling up Mount Doom must have sounded like this most of the time this isn't an active explosive eruption this is more of a subtle churning with the lava coming to the surface and running down the sides and slopes of the mountain. And by mentioning Mount Doom, all of us being Lord of the Rings fans, you probably immediately think of the ring 
the one ring that Sauron created, imbued with his own power in order to control all of the others. Because he would have had to stand at the precipice of a location just like this, using the power and the heat of the earth itself in order to forge something so terrible. And as you've been with this show for the last few weeks, you've probably been wondering, what about the Rings of Power? We've gone over the story of the Numenorians, their descent into a deep madness and anxiety about what would happen to them after they die. Stoked by Sauron himself. And in that story so far, the rings have not played a part. They haven't really come up. So what is the story of the forging of the rings? And what about the elves? This focus has been all on the men of the Second Age, the Numenorians specifically. But there must be more going on. And Christopher Tolkien knew this. So he divided up this chapter into different sections in order to focus on different major events. And so now it's time for us to talk about the forging of the rings. At the beginning of this section, we are given a recap as if we haven't just read through everything else, which makes sense because you could pick up this book and turn to the part that says of the rings of power and the third age and just read there. And 14 or 15 year old me almost definitely did this. I'm trying to remember back, but I have a feeling that many people get to this book. They open the Silmarillion and they look at all the strange words and all the text and they scan through it. And then they find this section and they go, oh, I know something about that. Let's start there. <laughs> and so they start at this section all the way at the end of the book. And it tells us the story of Sauron the Maya, who was seduced to the allegiance of Melkor. And he became the greatest and most trusted of the servants of the enemy, capital E, and the most perilous. And then it tells us something about some of his abilities, the idea that he could change his form in order to look noble and beautiful and wise and deceive people. And then it tells us about Morgoth being overthrown at the end of the first age and Sauron putting on a fair hue again. And the moment where he did obeisance to Aonwe, the herald of Manwe and abjured all his evil deeds. And this is the section that begins the rings of power because you have a Sauron who is trying to make things right, but yet doesn't fully repent. It says here, some hold that this was not at first falsely done, but that Sauron in truth 
repented, if only out of fear, being dismayed by the fall of Morgoth and the great wrath of the lords of the West. And yet, he did not return to Valinor. He did not go back to them. He did not serve any sort of punishment or anything for his crimes. He stayed in Middle-earth, and, quote, he fell back into evil, for the bonds that Morgoth had laid upon him were very strong. And so that's how this section starts. It starts with Sauron and a recap of who he is and why he's so dangerous. And then our attention is changed here. It's shifted to the elves. For the first time in this whole chapter, our focus is now the elves. And we know that at the end of the first age, the land was broken. Thangorodrim was thrown down, and in the midst of that battle, most of the continent of Beleriion was sunk beneath the sea. It says here, in the east, in Osirian, the walls of Eridluin were broken, and a great gap was made in them towards the south, and a gulf of the sea flowed in. In that gulf, the river Loon fell by a new course. And it was called the Gulf of Loon. That country had of old been named Linden by the Noldor. Now, if you've been going through this series with me, you have a sense of where this is. This was the western side of Beleriand. It is now the eastern side of what is the coast of Middle-earth up in the north. And we're told that many of the Eldar still dwelt there, lingering, unwilling yet to forsake Beleriand, where they had fought and labored long. This is interesting because this is their own, I guess, only little piece of Beleriand that is left. And so they cling to it, much like they cling to Middle-earth before going back to Valinor. And we're given some character names here. Gilgalad, son of Fingon, was their king. And with him was Elrond Half-Elven, son of Arendil the Mariner, and brother of Elros, first king of Numenor. So now we know where we're talking about and what's actually going on. This is way back at the beginning of the Second Age. Elrond and Elros are still relatively young, especially in Elrond's case for being an elf. But he's growing in wisdom. He's with Gilgalad the king and many of the Noldor. He's being raised among the elves who have struggled and survived to this point. And he's gathering up all that knowledge as he's with them. And this area, the shores of the Gulf of Loon, gets a new name. The elves call it Mithlund. Myth we've heard before. Mithrandir. That's a name that Gandalf goes by, the Grey Wizard. And then Londe translates directly to a landlocked haven, like an Aqualande. Mithland is the Grey Havens. So in The Lord of the Rings, when they talk about going to the Grey Havens, this is the exact location they're talking about. Círdan the Shipwright still lives here by the end of the Third Age. Many of the Noldor continue to dwell at this very specific location. And the connections to the things that we know from the Lord of the Rings don't end there. It says, The Eldar ever and anon set sail, fleeing from the darkness of the days of Earth. 
for by the mercy of the Valar, the firstborn could still follow the straight road and return, if they would, to their kindred in Aresia and Valinor beyond the encircling seas. And they give no explanation here as to how it is that these elves can find that straight road that leads off the planet at this point. They just seem to know the way. And we're filled in about other elves as well. Others of the Eldar there were who crossed the mountains of Arid Luin in that age and passed into the inner lands. Many of these were Teleri, survivors of Doriath and Assyrian, and they established realms among the Sylvan elves in woods and mountains far from the sea, for which nonetheless they ever yearned in their hearts. This explains some of the other elven lands that are formed in Middle-earth during this time, and how some of the leadership of those groups came from the Teleri, the third group that was summoned to Valinor way back, way back in the old days. And some of them stayed behind. Remember, Thingol, finding Melian in the woods and forming Doriath. So this accounts for some of the elves that we've been in and around in Beleriand who were not the Noldor. This is what happened to them. But what about the rest of the Noldor? Did they all stay in the Grey Havens? Well, no, it answers that question as well. It says only in a region which men call Holland did elves of Noldoran race establish a lasting realm beyond the arid Luin. Eregion was nigh to the great mansions of the dwarves that were named Khazad-dûm, and were given the elven name Hadhadrond, and of course, Moria, as we come to know it. And were given a city name for this city in Eregion, Ost in Edhil, the city of the elves, and were told of a high road that was constructed between these two locations, and the friendship of the elves and the dwarves, another point that was mentioned in the Lord of the Rings. And in Eregion, there were Noldoran descendants, and we have to remember this. The Noldor, at their core, going all the way back to their time in Valinor, were interested in knowledge and the crafting of items, jewels, weapons. And among them, the son of Kurufin, who is another Noldoran character that we know very well at this point, Celebrimbor, quote, who was estranged from his father and remained in Nargothrond when Celegorm and Kurufin were driven forth. Remember those stories? As is told in the Quintus Silmarillion. And then we're given another view of what else is going on in Middle-earth. This happens in the section about Numenor, when we find out that they've been traveling with ships and meeting other peoples in Middle-earth, and initially we're giving them gifts. Remember that? Well, it says here, quote, Elsewhere in Middle-earth, there was peace for many years, yet the lands were, for the most part, savage and desolate, save only for the people of Beleriand came. Many elves dwelt there indeed, as they had dwelt through the countless years, wandering free in the wide lands far from the sea. But they were Avari, to whom the deeds of Beleriand were but a rumor, 
and Valinor only a distant name. And in the south, and in the further east, men multiplied. And most of them turned to evil, for Sauron was at work. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh boy, we're getting to some more juicy Sauron stuff. It's always it's always a fun time. Uh, welcome to the middle of the show, and also welcome to our newest patrons, Christina T and Josiah L. Welcome to Patreon, and um, also to all 173 of our current patrons. Thank you so much, and our VIP patrons. Let's see how fast I can get through this list. AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker. Austin C, Azel Razzle, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metalworks, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Laugh, Gemma D, Jesse P, Josiah L, 
Katie S, Capenna, Larry, Nick K, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Rivqua, Sam B, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, Tour Son of Whore, uh, Ty, Tyler, man, I messed up, Tyler M, Wes P, and Who Let the Juan Out. Thank you so much for your support. You are the VIP patron, so you get shout outs every week and other fun stuff. And everybody who's a Patreon gets something fun. Go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast and see what everybody's, you know, signing up for. I'm sure they're being very helpful, but they also like to get their T-shirts and ad-free episodes and stuff. Also, we have some new reviews that have come in this week. As usual, if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I will read out your words on a future episode. This first one comes from Spaceboy87642 in the United States, who writes, Best podcast I've ever heard. Wow, that's really... uh, it's really high praise. This one's really pr- pretty cool. Uh, hi, I'm just a 12 year old nerd that watched the movies at 11. I got into the books right after that. Then I tried the Silmarillion and just couldn't finish it. Yeah, I couldn't finish it at 11 either. So totally get it. Uh, a year later, I found this show and couldn't stop listening. I tried the Silmarillion, but because of its writing style, Tom or Robots is amazing at breaking down the Silmarillion into digestible pieces. Di- digestible is a word that I can pronounce. Uh, five stars, the one podcast to rule them all. Space Boy, that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. And I love finding out that young people and older people and middle-aged people everybody has been enjoying what i've been doing here so thank you so much for that this one comes from may ellen in norway which by the way i was just on your side of the world this summer went on a a trip cruised around saw the fjords um so uh maybe i maybe i ran into you i don't know uh it says addictive i've been a fan of the peter jackson trilogies since i saw them the first time when they came out i became a guinea pig breeder not long ago twist didn't expect that and when i started naming the guinea pig babies i looked in tolkien's world and found so many great names now i have read many of tolkien's books and my favorite names are the elven heroes my favorite guinea pig babies nowadays are ecthelion and glorfindel those are very mighty names for little guinea pigs i love it I love listening to this podcast when I do chores in the house or on my way to work as a nurse. I have seen the movies with three of my four children, and they know what the world of Tolkien is about. With help from this great podcast, I can understand the Silmarillion better, and it explores the history of Middle-earth so well. So relaxing, addictive, and the beautiful radio voice of Tom makes listening pure delight. Thank you from Norway. Well, thank you for so many kind words and pet your guinea pigs. Give them a a little hug for me or whatever you do with guinea pigs. It's been a long time since I've been around guinea pigs. Um, But thank you for taking the time to do that. Also, leaving a rating on Spotify or whatever platform you listen to, sharing this with your friends and family. All of that is extremely helpful. Thank you to everybody who supports the show. All right, let's move on with the rest of this episode. So our focus returns to Sauron again. And strangely enough, we're given a justification for why he's doing some of what he's doing. It says here, seeing the desolation of the world, Sauron said in his heart that the Valar, having overthrown Morgoth, had again forgotten Middle-earth. And his pride grew apace. You see that there's a little sense of Sauron in there that 
He's the kind of person who thinks, well, if they're not going to be here to help these people out, then I must do it. And then his pride grows and the helping them out very quickly turns to dominating them because there's hatred in there too. And in fact, the very next line says, he looked with hatred on the Eldar and he feared the men of Numenor who came back at whiles in their ships to the shores of Middle-earth. But for long, he disassembled his mind and concealed the dark designs that he shaped in his heart. Almost, I, I get a sense here, almost like he's even hiding those things to himself, that this hate and fear is festering, and yet he's trying to push it down. And then we get kind of what feels like a contradictory sentence, because we know that he fears the men of Numenor, but yet he also found that the men were the easiest to sway of all the peoples of Earth. And notice here that it doesn't say Middle Earth anymore. It just says Earth because the world has changed. And because we've already read through the stories of Numenor, we know what happens with the men. But what about the elves? It says, But long he sought to persuade the elves to his service, for he knew that the firstborn had the greater power, and he went far and wide among them. And his hue was still that of one both fair and wise. Only to Linden did he not come, for Gilgalad and Elrond doubted him and his fair seeming, and though they knew not who in truth he was, they would not admit him to the land. Now, you might have some questions about this. First of all, how did the other elves not figure out that this individual was Sauron, this wise fellow who most likely looked like an elf that they were not familiar with? Where would he have come from? Wouldn't they have known one of themselves, one of the fellow Noldor or Teleri? So who is this and where did they come from? That seems suspicious. It seems suspicious enough that Gilgalad and Elrond were kind of on to him from the beginning, but didn't want to pin anything on him directly because they weren't exactly sure. They were just suspicious. But the flip side of that is there are a lot of mysterious things in Middle Earth. Tom Bombadil keeps coming up in conversations on the internet. Who is he? What is he? What is he even doing on in the story? All of that. Or who exactly were the wizards? A lot of people didn't know right away. So it's not too far-fetched to assume that a character like this showing up is sometimes a thing that happens in this world. And yet some were suspicious. And so he couldn't convince all of them. It goes on and says, but elsewhere the elves received him gladly, and few among them hearkened to the messengers from Linden, bidding them beware. That's very interesting. Gilgalad and Elrond were sending messengers like, hey, that guy you've been working with, we don't trust him. You guys need to be careful. Figure out what's going on. And then it goes on. For Sauron took to himself the name of Anatar, the Lord of Gifts. And that's what that translates to. And they had at first much profit from his friendship. Beware, people who promise many things. And follow through, at least for a time. And he said to them, Alas, for the weakness of the great, for a mighty king is Gilgalad, and wise in all lore is Master Elrond. And yet they will not aid me in my labors. 
Can it be that they do not desire to see other lands become as blissful as their own? And he's going back to that same tactic that we've seen already. He's stoking envy. He's telling these people, these elves, why do they have such nice things? Why can't we have it too? Do they not want to share? This almost identically mirrors envy he planted in the Numenorians about the elves and the undying lands. And then he digs in a little deeper. It says, but wherefore should Middle Earth remain forever desolate and dark, whereas the elves could make it as fair as Aresia, nay, even Valinor. And since you have not returned thither as you might, I perceive that you love this Middle Earth as do I. It is not then our task to labor together for its enrichment and for the raising of all the elven kindreds that wander here untaught. And that's uh, T-A-U-G-H-T as in like untied to, to the height of the power and knowledge which those have who are beyond the sea. This is interesting. Hey, I know you all love this place. You stick around here. I'm sticking around here. We all could make this a wonderful place. We could make Middle-earth like Valinor. This tactic of pointing out all the terrible things and building people up in order to say, hey, we could make this a better place and promise all of these things and it seems kind of obvious to us as the reader. Yeah, the elves could make it as fair as Aresia, the land near Valinor that the elves live in. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, uh, even as, as Valinor? As beautiful and powerful and fair as Valinor itself? And we start going, mm, I don't know if that's... I mean, this feels, feels like a step too far. And it's because he's promising them the world. Anybody who wants to claim power by promising the world, and by that I mean impossible things, and yet they were convinced. We're told that it was in Eregion that the councils of Sauron were most gladly received. This is where Celebrimbor is, and the Noldor. Again, the Noldor being manipulated and corrupted. And in the land of the Noldor desired ever to increase the skill and subtlety of their works. He's taking those good desires and he's twisting them to his own evil ends again. Moreover, they were not at peace in their hearts since they had refused the return into the West. And they desired both to stay in Middle Earth, which indeed they loved, and yet to enjoy the bliss of those that had departed. They're torn. They're a torn people. We see this in the Lord of the Rings. We see this in the elves that continue to leave Middle-earth. This draw toward the bliss of Valinor, the place where they could be at peace, and yet the responsibility to stay behind and do something. And Sauron plays upon that. It's because of these promises and that rift in their hearts that they draw to Sauron, because it seems like maybe they can have both. And so he teaches them many things, and the sharing of knowledge was great. And in those days, the smiths of Ost in Edil surpassed all 
that they had contrived before. With Sauron's teachings, they were able to do more than they'd ever been able to do before. And they made rings of power. But Sauron guided their labors, and he was aware of all that they did, for his desire was to set a bond upon the elves and to bring them under his vigilance. So from the very beginning of the crafting of any rings of power, Sauron was there, guiding them, secretly imbuing those rings with something that would allow him to control them in the future. And this part is interesting because it goes into some of the specifics of the crafting of the rings. It says here, now the elves made many rings, but secretly Sauron made one ring to rule all the others, and their power was bound up with it, to be subject wholly to it, and to last only so long as it too should last. So we're given some rules here, basically, for how things work. He makes the one ring to rule the others. Their power is bound to that ring. So if that ring is unmade or no longer should last, then the power of the other rings will fade as well. And it goes further. And much of the strength and will of Sauron passed into that one ring. For the power of the elven rings was very great, and that which should govern them must be a thing of surpassing potency. And Sauron forged it in the mountain of fire in the land of shadow. And while he wore the one ring, he could perceive all the things that were done by means of of the lesser rings, and he could see and govern the very thoughts of those that wore them. So let's unpack this. Why did he need to imbue the one ring with so much of his essence, of his power? It was because the other rings were so powerful. In order to dominate those other powerful rings, he needed to put a large percentage of his own power into the one ring that connects to them. Otherwise, he would not have dominion over those other rings as well. And while anyone else was using those other rings, he could do a few things. He could perceive all the things that were done by the means of the lesser rings. So anytime those rings were used in some way to do something, he would perceive it. And he could govern the very thoughts of those that wore them. Anyone who wore a lesser ring would be a puppet under his control. So that raises the question, what about the three elven rings? How does that work? Well, it explains it right here. But the elves were not so lightly to be caught. As soon as Sauron set the one ring upon his finger, they were aware of him. Because they were powerful in their own way, and they knew that feeling of being manipulated or attempted to being controlled. And then it goes on and says, And they knew him and perceived that he would be master of them and all that they wrought. Then in anger and fear, they took off their rings. But he finding that he was betrayed and that the elves were not deceived, was filled with wrath. And he came against them with open 
war, demanding that all the rings should be delivered to him, since the elven smiths could not have attained to their making without his lore and counsel. But the elves fled from him, and three of their rings they saved, and bore them away, and hid them. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.